welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Clean Tech Talk. This is Joe Boris. Zachary Shahan is back home. I am live at the ACT Expo in California, and I'm here today with the president and co-founder of Cibros, Mayank Sakaria. Yep. That's not bad, yep. right? Yeah. We can keep that one. Yes. That's, yes. that's, that's, you that's did. good. Yeah. So we want to talk a little bit about Cibros, and you have recently spoke, or actually uh, your cousin recently spoke with one of our writers and gave us a little bit, kind of the 30,000 square foot view. But I want to talk a little bit more in depth, if we could, for the software and the data that you guys are offering. And if I understand it correctly, for those of you who missed the article, you are offering a software and data platform that will allow for over-the-air diagnostics and updates. And it's a universal platform that can be used with a number of different existing ECU CAN bus type systems. So why does that matter? Well, as all of these companies are coming online, and they're building their e-axles and they're doing conversions of from gas vehicles to electric or they're buying internal combustion chassis and converting them to electric, you are giving them the ability to have that Tesla experience of having the over-the-air updates, the diagnostics. Am I close? Yeah. Hey, Joe, thank you for, first of all, having me on this. And yes, everything you mentioned is very accurate. We're providing an end-to-end solution which includes the in-vehicle software that... When you say in-vehicle software, you're talking about like the actual instrumentation, the display that I see when I'm driving my speedometer, my voltmeter, all that stuff. Not necessarily. This would be the... So every vehicle that is connected has a telematics unit. That Mm -hmm. is typically where your Wi-Fi or or cellular connectivity is, is made available. That's the unit where we would put our solution. In some cases, for a luxury vehicle, that happens to be also the same unit that shows that connects your cluster, gives you information on your infotainment systems. That is the unit that I'm talking about where we put our in-vehicle software that then allows you to connect with our cloud and upload information from the vehicle or download a software package mm-hmm. or, or, or receive a command from the cloud to then perform a certain functionality on the vehicle. So you're talking about data that you're pulling from this telematics, you know, coming from an automotive world background that I have, you know, for us, a lot of that was OBD, OBD2, things like that. Is when you talk about the data that you can pull from these vehicles, is it that onboard diagnostic data, that OBD2 data, or is it a different set of data? Yeah, so it's much more than that. So you can pretty much capture any sort of data, whether it's from GPS, modem, internal variables, your state machines, CAN bus, LIN bus, Ethernet, flex rate, any sort of data that these controllers are using to communicate between each other. We, uh, the Cibros platform has the ability to tap on that data and, and upload it to the cloud. It also allows the customers to actually configure, choose what data they want to collect, the source that they want to collect. For instance, they want to collect a video stream coming off of a uh, sensor or they want to collect a, coming off of a camera or they want to collect some specific LiDAR messages or Ethernet logging. So our solution can provide that capability and the platform plays a role across the full vehicle life cycle. So you can configure at different life cycle stages, such as 
engineering versus production versus manufacturing versus dealership on what you care about at that stage. Right, because from an engineering stage, from an R&D stage, you want to look at everything. Yep. But once you're in production, you want to roll along, you don't necessarily want to maintain, because there's an overhead, there's a cost associated yep. with, with storing the data, mining the data. If you can clean up that data and remove things that are not necessarily, not necessarily mission critical, yep. you can cut down on your overhead and at the end of the day, kind of deliver a better experience, right? Yep. I was a, a BMS, battery management systems engineer at Faraday and one of the at Faraday, Faraday Future. Yeah, um, so. I mean that's a that, that's a name drop. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a pretty impressive name drop. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So as part of that, I you know during the engineering phases, we used to use a lot of the data coming from our BMS system to then analyze how our batteries are performing in in different weather conditions, whether it's hot weather, cold weather testing. So like you said, during engineering phase, you do want to collect as much data as possible, if not all of it. And then as you move towards the next phase, which is your manufacturing and then production and post-production, you want to then have supervised models to limit that set of data. Right. So you made the comment that the customer can choose what data they record out. I think for, for people listening, their customers are not you and me. Their customers are manufacturers. Their customer would be Workhorse or Atlas or Green Power or, or Nikola, you know, a company that wants to offer this kind of connectivity and this kind of feature set to their to their customers to the end user the end driver is that something that you can sort of limit or control from a consumer side like if i you know if i go to a website and it says allow you know do i want to allow the cookies is that something i can opt out of is that something i should even worry about or is it anonymized data yeah so that's a great question the platform allows great question i'm doing good the uh, we don't platform, need Zachary. platform allows you to platform allows our customers, our, our vehicle manufacturers to set up the portals in a way where their customers can also configure the data. Obviously, some OEMs might choose to using the role based access control. They can choose what they can, what their customers can configure and what they cannot. For instance, like you mentioned, like from privacy standpoint, yes, a customer can completely disable logging, in which case you know, the, the vehicle is not logging data, just like you are able to do with your phone today, right? right. You have this, these different apps and you're able to say, hey, for this app, do not locate, do not record my location services. Mm -hmm. So you, you can do that with our application. We provide all the knobs and, 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 and the means to do it. It's just how the customer, in this case, a vehicle manufacturer wants to mm -hmm. use. Could you, I mean, I, I assume you could because you are the developer and end-to-end, -end, right, of, of the software. Could you, as one of your customers, could I say, look, I, I've, I've bought the Cibro system, I'm using it, I want to sell to certain customers, my product to a municipal fleet, a police fleet, and I want to record everything. But then to my other customers that are in a mining operation or whatever else, I don't want to record that. Can I flip switches to that degree of like these VINs, that, those VINs? Yeah, as an OEM, you, you have full control over how you want to log, which vehicles you want to target. So we have a concept of vehicle groups. Those vehicle groups can be created based on different attributes of the vehicle, mm. based on location, type, model, year, make, color, and others. So you can pick and choose and create a targeted vehicle group, and you can then, not only for logging, but you can also use it for targeting software updates for those vehicles. But oh, so that's interesting. So you could say, for example, if there was a warranty issue or a service issue with a cooling system, 
and it was an optional cooling system, like a, an upgrade cooling system, mm -hmm. you could specifically target those vehicles for a software update and, and for lack of a better term, ignore the others because they don't need that update. Yeah. That's very interesting. And I mean, some of our customers actually go beyond that. They're using software updates as a, as a revenue generator where they allow the customers to buy new software packages. Mm -hmm. So for instance, for a two-wheeler or a three-wheeler, they're able to give, the customer can unlock more range by paying X amount of dollars. And then you just perform a software update. Right, which is product. another Tesla model because they, they have yep. the, the one battery. The autopilot software was yes, a great yes, example. Yes, exactly right. Yep, exactly yep, right. Yep. Interestingly, and I don't know if you can speak to this because obviously it, it's not your product. At least I don't think it's your product. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know that you have some backroom deals going with some, some big guys. But, you know, Volvo has through Polestar, you can download the software update. It's like $14.99 and they'll unlock another 30 or 60 horsepower depending on how much you're willing to pay, right? So is that something that you see coming down the road where, you know, maybe a customer buys a vehicle and it's not the ultimate high performance version, but then they sell that vehicle on the secondary market and the second owner, the new owner says, you know what? I really like this. I like this color. The guy took care of it, but I would really like the higher performance. And then you can now offer that as a revenue generator to them. Yep. That's exactly, I think, where the industry is heading. If you see that with cell phones, it's already happening. You know, the, the cameras and the, and the hardware is already released to the, to the customer. And then there's a software update that continuously adds more features. Mm -hmm. That model is already, in some sense, happening with a lot of the vehicle manufacturers across the globe, where the customer can choose, pick and choose whichever features they want. And they can even set it for a given time range. Like for a year, I want to have this feature in my vehicle. And, and then next year, I'll renew that again. Uh, and this can be done with a click of a button, which is using software updates or a configuration right to the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting because when I talk to a lot of these vehicle companies, especially the startup ones, mm -hmm. right? and, and, mm -hmm. and I, I don't need to name names, but uh, you know, you know who you are. Mm -hmm. They talk about essentially the vehicle as a platform for software. Mm -hmm. But then at the end of the day, they're not making that software. You're making that software. Am mm -hmm. I so, missing something so, in that equation? So they are working on cutting edge technologies. All these companies actually, if, if, if you think about it, our solution helps them accelerate for that software development because at the end of the day so your solution supports that we provide the platform that allows them to then update their own software that's running on their ecus I so understand. at the end of the day someone sitting at volta trucks or sono motors who are our customers they are still writing the code but instead of them focusing on making this platform first and then writing the code they're able to get ahead of other companies because they're focusing on writing the key differentiators for their product writing the software that can really differentiate their car and then use our tool then to perform that software. Well, that's an interesting point because from one OEM to another, even though they're all using this same essentially platform or the same language to communicate with their vehicles, their secret sauce is what makes it seem exactly. independent. Okay, that's exactly. interesting. OTA is not a key differentiator for a lot of the um, vehicles anymore. It's almost a necessity. It's, you know, if you want to stay ahead of the curve and, and given the competition you see in the automotive space right now, it's, it's, a, it's a technology that needs to be in every single vehicle. Yeah. Now, before we started recording, we got into a little bit of a conversation about, you know, Indian motorcycles and things like that, which, you know, people who've been following this a long time, they know I have a Bajaj, they know I have an old LML and that I've, that I've 
you know, kind of worked on and I've kind of been a scooter guy. And and your journey actually in some ways kind of started with Bajaj and the, the two yeah. wheel companies. And you now have a deal with them, like yeah. an like an official publicly known mm-hmm. like can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Joe, that brings a huge smile, actually, because... Uh, it's so cool. Bajaj, I just love the topic. Yeah, Bajaj is a very close, is very near and dear to me. My dad used to ride a Bajaj Chetak, two-stroke Chetak to work when he started his career. So it's a very special company for us. And we have been working with them. We've deployed our end-to-end solution on their Bajaj Chetak, which is the electric the new vehicle. Yep. The new one, yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're... You know, every day we are adding more use cases for them. We're solving challenges for them around software updates, logging. Yeah, it's been it's been a great journey with them so far. Yeah, and I mean that's got to be a tremendous amount of data because people in the states don't really realize not only how important the two wheeled market is, uh, you know, especially in India and Southeast Asia, but how huge it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to uh, Joe Constanty over at, at NIU, Mu. I don't know if you're familiar with those guys. And they sell almost as many electric scooters in a day as Vespa sells in the U.S. in a yeah. year. Yeah. And they are so enormous. And yet the average person walking around Toronto, Canada, or Detroit, Michigan has never heard of them. Yeah. So that, that's got to be just, just a staggering amount of information. Are you working with any other kind of international brands that we can talk to that, that aren't necessarily in the U.S., but that, you know, is doing something really interesting within the space? Yeah, we're, our platform works on every single sort of uh, vehicle type, whether it's a two-wheeler, three-wheeler, four-wheeler, commercial vehicles, passenger vehicles, buses, trucks. So Farm we, equipment. Farm equipments, agricultural construction vehicles. So... And we have pretty much, we are engaged with customers in all of these different fields. Some of them I cannot publicly um, uh, name them yet. But uh, with Bajaj, for instance, uh, you know, talking about volumes, I was actually in India recently. And, you know, every, if you're in a car, you will be surrounded by at least five or six uh, (laughs) two-wheelers around you. Yeah, Yeah. all times. So volumes are insane uh, when you talk about, two-wheeler space in India and three-wheeler space as well. And Bajaj is the largest the three-wheeler space is like the tuk-tuk, ape yep, kind of space. Yep. Okay. And that is very much dominated by Bajaj as well in, in the market and others. Oh, actually. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I, I always thought it was just yep. the Piaggio ape. No, so I, I Bajaj is one of the largest two-wheeler and three-wheeler. Um, yeah, if you're listening to this and you have no idea what we're talking about, we're going to put this in the show notes. We'll have a couple of links to these things. These are just like you have never really truly lived until you've been in like one of these moto rickshaw things. Yeah. They are especially insane. And we had one a while back that we did all the, the Polini kits and everything, 177 CC. Yeah. So we had this thing going like 75 miles an hour in Chicago. It was absolutely insane. I'll put the video of that up there and you guys can all send me to prison because I probably deserve to be there. But this is all just like really, really good stuff. Yeah. With ACT Expo, actually, this is very relevant too is, you know, we talk about fleet management and we talk about fleet owners. If you look at the model in India, it's one of the most challenging ones because you have, for a three-wheeler, for instance, you have fleet owners at a very micro level. So you have a fleet owner that owns like three tuk-tuks or four auto rickshaws that is running on a rent lease basis so that you're giving that on a rent to a driver to drive for a few hours and then you get it back. And then, so managing all of that through our platform, collecting data, and there's a whole aspect of educating the driver on it as we move towards electrification. 
seeing driver score, fleet safety, driver safety when you're in an EV, getting those. So that's very interesting because as a manufacturer, one of the things that you're always trying to avoid is essentially liability, right? Yeah. You're trying to show, no, no, it wasn't my product that failed and you know ran that bus full of orphans into the ocean. It was another part along the way. It was the driver that was unsafe. It was something like mm -hmm. that. So this is actually a protection for not only the fleet owner, but it's also a protection for the OEM. OEM. And you know, earlier we were talking about how there is the aftermarket products, these OBD dongles that we talk about. See, mm -hmm. this is the one area where they have huge limitation because you cannot configure them to have full visibility into a canvas or, or, or a communication yep. bus, as opposed to the other scenario where you can configure a soft, the vehicle to log any sort of data based on any condition, such that now you can actually study if there was a crash, what what happened in the vehicle you can actually create a picture of really good picture of what went wrong whether it was a bms system whether it was brakes whether it was what component failed mm -hmm. that led to a crash if it was because of a component or a systematic failure now maybe i'm wrong and, and you can you can speak to this is this something that a lot of these manufacturers are looking at because they want to remain competitive and and excited and and kind of push the envelope in the space or are there regulations saying that they need to have stuff like this? I think it's much, much more than that because each OEM knows that as they move towards electrification and, and this new journey that they're taking on, it's, it's inevitable that they will have software updates. They will have to fix whether it's security patches, safety patches, you know, you, you yeah. know, battery protection. Yeah. They will and have And when you're to, talking about like a 40,000 pound farm thresher, yeah. it's not that easy to just pop it on the back of the truck and take yep. it to the dealer. Yep. So that over the air aspect becomes critical. Yep. And, and which is why if you, um, you must have already read about this DWP29's regulation around R155, R156, which is cybersecurity and software update management standards, clearly defines how these systems needs to be designed. So the OEMs are performing software updates in a secure and safely manner. And there's a whole, it goes even beyond that. It talks about, you know, the kind of type authority, type approval you need to get, citations. How do you meet those requirements? Well, yeah. So do you have to get, you know, do you have to get CARB certification, for example, on every new software version? So the WP29 does define that if there is a software update, the vehicle does need to go through a type approval. There are also clear rules around what OEMs expected to do. Mm -hmm. For instance, like when you are performing a software update, unlike a phone where your precondition is just maintaining, just making sure that the battery is charged for a vehicle, there's much more, right? You have to think about safety where right. vehicle is, is not in drive for, state. Yeah, exactly. You know, Joe, you shouldn't be driving. The OEM cannot perform a software update while Joe is driving on a freeway at 65. <laughs> shouldn't be that able shouldn't to. shouldn't be able to. <laughs> right. We know from uh, news and other channels that that has happened in the past. Yeah. So these kind of standards coming into the picture, if anything, will make the solution more robust and yeah. safe. So let me ask you this: You know, the, when this was all coming out, and and my experience is through Volvo, right? Because I'm a giant Volvo nerd. I have a bunch of old Volvos. I, I Volvos you can't even get in this country. I have so like we'll have that conversation later. But at, at the end of the day, you know. One of my concerns when I finally got my new spa car, which is the spa chassis is, is what they call the new XC90s that are all digital and hybrid-y and all that. 
the conversation about over-the-air updates, you can't drive that car during the update process. And sometimes these processes can take quite a long time. You know, it's a very fringe type of case, but it is a concern. Like, what if I need to rush my kid to the hospital or something, and then this thing is sitting in my garage for 45 minutes trying mm -hmm. to do a software update? Is that type of concern reasonable, or is that kind of not really a thing? Yeah, those are valid use cases, and there are mechanisms that OEMs can can incorporate into the solution. We have already done it as part of our platform. So you have a like so user cancel. consent is one, right? So like without a user's consent, you know, you you don't necessarily want to start a software update, which then leads into the situation. The other one is for big ECUs, like for instance, for infotainment system or ECUs that have a lot of huge RAM, there's concept of AB updates, which is where you stage, you download and stage the pack, the whole firmware package onto the ECU. And then when you're installing, so this is the download part, which can happen even when the vehicle is in drive or vehicle is parked. Oh, interesting. So you so download, you download the, the package, yeah. yep. just like your laptop, you download the package. Exactly. And then you, when you're inst installing it, you're just doing a st uh, swap. So you're now initializing the ECU from the other right. bank. So that typically reduces your installation time significantly, which is what most OEMs do for um, I, I think ECU. now they're yeah. doing that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I think early on it was a little bit, eh, hmm. so a little bit sketchy. Uh, you know, normally these things go about 20, 25 minutes. We're right around the 22 minute mark here. So you were kind enough to do this with us and sit down with us. So thank you so much for that. And, and I'm sure we're going to be talking more. Just if, if nothing else, we'll just talk about weird Indian motorcycles. <laughs> I don't have any it's other friends to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, how can people listening to this who are interested in this, how can they follow along with what you're doing? How can they support what you're doing? Because obviously the more manufacturers that you're working with, that, that just means that there's more of this out there. There's more cars that are constantly improving themselves. Because at the end of the day, that's really what makes an EV significantly different from a, an internal combustion car is the idea that I can take one car home and then with a software update, I can get a much better car, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's part of it. Yep. So I think the, you know, we have been able to get a lot of attention from big automakers across the globe. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons is because I think the industry understands the power of yeah. uh, software updates, logging, and then the whole, um, you know, the, the data being the, the, the next the ne next oil and, and data being the powerhouse. I think that that is well understood. Data is the next oil. I love how we gloss over that in the last 30 seconds of the show. Like that's a whole, <laughs> that's a that's whole, a whole half hour I know, episode. I probably should not have introduced that towards <laughs> the end of the call. But I, where I was going with that was, you know, as we talk about a lot of these features around, you know, self-parking, we talk about autonomous features, we talk about electrification, Connectivity is, is, is the heart of the vehicle. It's the backbone. It enables all of this to happen. You know, if you were making an autonomous vehicle and you didn't have connectivity, you cannot study how your vehicle is doing in the field. Mm -hmm. how, how, how will you perform telemetry right. operations where you want to take over the control of the car remotely and being able to maneuver that vehicle to a safe state? So connectivity plays a huge role. I think, I think all the OEMs understand that. What's very, very important and then something that we are doing is we are first addressing the very basic problem, which is a, a pipe between the vehicle and the cloud that is secure, that is safe, 
that allows you to collect data that you care about, yeah. makes OEMs collect data or allows OEMs to collect data at a, um, by making sure that the cost, operation cost is not mm -hmm. significant. Yeah, and it's a proven funnel. It's, you know, you talk about that pipeline from the vehicle to the cloud. This is, you're not a startup. You have tens of thousands of vehicles in mm -hmm. the field that are currently running this, this system and that, that this is actually right Correct. now improving the breed, right? Correct. We are already in production uh, vehicles, um, like you said, and this is something that we're not in the proof of concept or pilot stages. We are actually way, way beyond that. Um, and, um, you know, there's, you know, when we started the journey, it was more of us reaching out to OEMs, but recently it has been other way around where OEMs are reaching out to us. So that's yeah. very rewarding. That, that tells us that there's a very big need for this uh, product out there. Yeah, I think there is. And, you know, one of the things that comes up over and over again is this idea that, the car you buy today, as technology improves, the car will improve, which 20 years ago was a concept that, that never existed, right? Like yeah. if you bought a car and it didn't have an alarm, doesn't have an alarm. Yeah. And now you can buy a scooter and, you know, hey, now we have theft protection and yeah. wheel lock and we're yeah. going to send that to you. Yeah. And that that's, I think, an incredible concept. No, and I think that's such a, just want to leave that on a note, um, which is my dad, you know, when he moved from a Nokia phone to a smartphone, you know, he, at first he had a hard time operating on that phone. But right. now he thinks the world of, in a very different view where he says, why can't this car have this? Why can't this? Right. Back, if I just go back in 10 years or, or about 15 years, when he bought a car, he, he signed up for something that was going to last him for 10 years. And that's how it's going to be. It will be constant. It will not change. Now he expects every hardware, every product that he buys to change over time, to yeah. evolve, just like his phone does. That's so interesting, right? Because like, well, my refrigerator knows when I'm out of milk. How come it doesn't know to just order the milk for me? Yeah. Like, yeah. And the, like, there are a lot of products that are going towards that model, right? You can update the IoT devices, even your home appliances are all connected. Car, where we spend most of our time, why? That's, I would think that would be the one thing that every company should, should you know, every OEM should move towards connecting it because that's where we all spend most of our time. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good place to leave it. So uh, once again, Mayank Sakari from Cibros, definitely look for these guys. Just go online, Cibros.com, S-I-B-R-O-S. Check it out. Even if you're not a gearhead and you're not into this technical stuff, just to kind of get a sense of what's out there and what's becoming possible when you do think of a new car as an iDevice and not in the sense that you're going to get a new one every year, but in the sense that it's going to update, it's going to change, you're going to download apps that are going to make the experience more personal to you. Get a sense of it because that's definitely where it's going to the next five years. So again, thanks for being a part of this. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thank you.